Let's open our Bibles to the 28th of Proverbs. In this chapter, we have the principles of good leadership. There are six things that we'll see are principles of good leadership. We're going to find a good leader is stable. A good leader must have compassion. A good leader is equitable. A good leader is honest. A good leader is diligent. And a good leader is family-centered. And you'll find all of these things are necessary for good leadership. And that they are a benefit to good leadership. I want you to notice verse 1, and we, as we always do, take it verse by verse. And we try to, try to just not really rush through the verse. If I come back and repeat the verse, I do it on purpose so we can draw some more out of it. And get another thought or two. So if you have Proverbs 28, look at verse 1. It says, uh, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. No one's chasing him. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now then, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. They're always running, but from what? From nothing. They don't know what they're running from. In Psalm 53 and verse 5, it says this. It says, there were they in great fear where no fear was. Where no fear was. Remember, FDR said we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And so, a lot of people are afraid. And what makes them afraid is being afraid. You know, they say, I'm afraid. Well, what made you afraid? That's the bottom of it. And by the way, sin in the life of Men makes men's make makes men cowards, and uh, we find that the wicked flee when no man pursueth. That uh, as far as leaders, wicked leaders, national sin disturbs the public repose, and that's why there's disturbance. So I want you to just think as we uh, look at these verses. Hosea 7, verse 7. Let me read this for you. And Hosea 8, verse 4. 7, verse 7 says, They are all hot as an oven and have devoured their judges and all their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. They didn't turn to God and therefore they were afraid and they were uh, brought down. In verse 4 of chapter 8 it says, They have set up kings but not by me. Setting up kings and not considering God in the matter is to, to produce a leadership that will be afraid of everything that comes along. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and of their gold have they made them idols that they may be cut off. So it pays to have the right kind of leadership. The principles of good leadership. A good leader is stable, and those that run away from their problems are not stable. Those that are always fleeing. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But it says, But the righteous are as bold as a lion. They're very stable in what they stand for. The righteous know where they stand and why they stand for what they stand. And so it makes boldness and courage. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I want you to look at verse 2. It says, For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. Here's laws broken. The princes, the leaders, break the laws of God. 
It says, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. By a man that's in leadership, that what? Has understanding and he has knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. You know, many administrations come and go, but the, the administrations that stay are usually those that are the most stable and through understanding and knowledge. And it takes understanding and knowledge to be a good leader. And then in verse 3 and 4, actually verses 3 through 7, we'll find that a good leader must have compassion. It says, a poor man oppresseth. Look at that, oppresseth. The poor is like sweeping rain, a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. You know, this is a very unnatural tyrant for a a poor man to oppress another poor man. Now, if you say a rich man oppresses a poor man, or a mean man, or a wicked man, or an ungodly man oppresses a poor man, you could understand that. But this is very unnatural. For a poor man that oppresses the poor, it's like a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. In other words, it's a very unnatural thing, isn't it, for this to happen. And in verses 3 through 7, you might keep this thought in mind, though every verse doesn't touch on it, that a good leader must have compassion. You'll find several things that speak of compassion down through verse 7. And so, let's look at verse 4. It says, They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Praise the wicked, unlawful, and transgressors. They that forsake the law, that means God's law as well as any other laws. But God's law especially is in mind. Praise the wicked. Can you imagine someone uh, strengthening the wicked, strengthening themselves? And strengthening one another by what? By wickedness? Look at that verse. Let it soak in. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. They get their strength out of that. They strengthen one another by being that way. But the last part of verse 4 says, But such as keep the law, contend with them. Those that keep God's laws, contend with the wicked. The law is also man's light. The law is the light. If you remember back in Psalm 19, when it tells that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And it tells all, all through that the Word of God, the law of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of God, enlighteneth, enlighteneth the heart. And if we'll listen to God's law, we'll know more about how we should live. You know, all the instructions you and I as Christians need are found right here in God's Word. Someone says, every one of them? Everything. Now, it doesn't mean you don't need to know other things for other things in life. Because there are many things involved in life. But all your spiritual instructions and all your instructions that you need to live a godly life, the Bible says all Scripture, listen, is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. Men did not write these words except under inspiration of God. And it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Instruction, listen, that the man of God may be perfect, that means mature, not sinlessly perfect, grown up, mature in spiritual things, truly furnished, listen to this statement, 
Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Did it say some things you'll learn from God's Word? No, it says all of the things. Unto all good works. There's not one good work and good uh, act of godliness that is not taught in God's Word. It's all taught here. See, you don't have to have a library with 20, 50 volumes. I have a large library for research. And I'm glad I have it. And I try to study. And you study all the sources, all the information you can get. In every way that you can get it. And then you let God guide you as to what really centers in upon what God says. And that's the final rule of faith and practice. And when you come to that condition, you have to make up your mind. Remember one of our professors in the seminary used to say, uh, when you read all these uh, commentaries, and they commentators, you know, we call them commentators. He says, remember what, just what they are. They're commentators. Just like the rest of us. So anyway, you take all the inputs you can get, uh, and yet you let God be the final decisive uh, power and force and enlightenment in what you believe and what you stand for. Uh, Paul did exactly that. Paul was a man that was that sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and he was learned in uh, Hebrew and Greek and Latin, and he knew the Bible, and he knew the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Bible says one time that Paul got up and he beckoned to them with his hand. And when they saw that he spake, these were Jews, that he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, their own native historical language, they paid attention. He could speak that language with no problem. And so... It doesn't mean that everyone that gets up to speak should be, be an ignoramus, but it does mean that he, that he should still let, even uh, through all the studies that a person may go through, let God's Word finally uh, sink in, and this should be our final rule of faith and practice. So a good leader must have compassion. We're talking about verse 4 now. It says, They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And then in verse 5, look at verse 5. It says, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. You see? Where does understanding come from? Evil men understand not judgment. They don't know how... They, they respect persons. They do not understand what righteous judgment is. In other words, anything you can get away with is alright, as far as they're concerned. Not anything that's right. Sometimes when we're wrong, we need to pay the price for being wrong. Sometimes when we do the wrong thing, we need to be rebuked for it. Abraham was. He went down into Egypt and he did the wrong thing. And and the king had Abimelech. And twice over, he made the same mistake. And then his son did the same thing. Isaac did the same thing. When you go out in the world and you do something that the world knows better than for you as a Christian to do, then the world has a right to rebuke you as a Christian. They say, look, you're a child of God. You're a Christian. You profess to be a Christian. Why do you live like that? And we had it coming. Peter says, if you be, suffer for your faults, what does he say? You deserve it. If you be buffeted for your faults. But on the other hand, if you suffer for righteousness' sake, that's a different story. 
So uh, you might ask yourself the question when some something comes to you in the way of a rebuke for how you're living your Christian life. Do I deserve this or do I not deserve it? If I deserve it, I better buck up and take it, hadn't I? I better say, well, you know I had that coming. And just confess it to God and even apologize to the individual with whom you have the situation, whatever it is. And they'll think a lot more of you than they will if you try to uh, hypocritically deny that you've done anything wrong. Because we all make mistakes. And uh, Abraham had to be rebuked, rebuked by the king, didn't he? He says, well, listen, we thought this was a, a nice lady. You introduced her, uh, Sarah to us, and uh, one of our men might have taken her. She's a beautiful woman, might have wanted to take her to wife. And says, why did you bring this sin upon us? Say, you said she's your sister, and she is indeed your wife. And he says, now take your wife and go your way. So he said, this is your wife, you take her. Of course, nowadays it doesn't make that much difference. Does it? All right. I mean, as far as the general public is concerned, because we have so many uh, people that have loose morals and low standards, and we have to deal with that every day in our day and age in which we live. But it's still wrong in the sight of God. Adultery is still wrong. Sexual mis. Promiscuity is wrong. All these things that people are just accepting as, you know, a matter of everyday life. Well, it is a matter of everyday life, but it ought not to be so, brethren. We ought to learn to live for God. And we ought to tell our children, our young people, about these things as they grow up. And teach them in the right way. Alright, let's look at the next verse. It says in verse 5, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. God has given His children a spirit of understanding and a discernment, a way to discern and to understand things. And it says, listen carefully, the natural man, the person that's unsaved, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. It says, for their foolishness unto him. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned or understood. If you talk about some of the things that I'm teaching tonight out here in the world and people that are unsaved and have never been converted, never trusted the Lord as their Savior, and are not listening to spiritual things whatsoever, they don't even understand hardly what you're talking about. But you talk to God's people and they have a sense of discernment and a, and a spirit of discernment and understanding. And the Holy Spirit gives you that understanding. It says... But they that seek the Lord understand all things. Look at verse uh, 6. Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Look at that. What is a person worth? He is better and he's more valuable that walks in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. How do you evaluate people? By their person, by who they are. By that individual. Whether they're rich or poor, bond or free. He's worth what he is as a person inside and how he acts toward he or she acts toward you in all godliness and goodliness. And so you mark it down that it says, Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Look at verse seven. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. 
But he that is he that is companion of riotous men shameth his father. Here's a son to be proud of. Whoso keepeth the law, the word of God. He's a son to be proud of. But he that is a companion of righteous men shameth his father. He's a grievance to his father. Keepeth the law means keepeth the word of God. This is a happy family, isn't it? Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. But look, he that is a companion of righteous men, he brings shame or grievance, grief to his father. Look at verse 8. By the way, from verses 8 on down for a ways, but let's look at verse 8 and then read verse 21 as well. Let's read verse 8. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will, be, that will pity the poor. Now look at verse 21 as well. To have respect of persons is not good, for for a piece of bread that man will transgress. You're talking about a man gaining in any way. Now back to verse 8 and we'll look. A good leader is equitable. And these two verses key in on it. Is equitable. In other words, he's fair. He doesn't have respect of persons. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance. Now look, it's short-lived. What, what does it say? It says, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Someone else will get his money. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance. If you get it by usury, by using, by overcharging an interest, that's outrageous interest. Usury means high interest rates like 15 or 20 percent above what is just and fair, taking advantage of the poor. Okay? He that by usury and unjust gain, get money any way you can, regardless of who it hurts and how how poor the person may be or how uh, unfair it may be, it says, by gain increases his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. You may gather it for another man that will have mercy on someone. Did you know the more you give, the more you try to help, the more God will bless you? That's just a fact. And if you'll try it out, you'll find it's true. And God will open up the windows of heaven and He'll pour you out a blessing. You'll have not have room enough to receive it. So, and then in verse, um, verse 9, it says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Prayer is an insult to God if you won't hear His Word. Did you know, if, if God's Word is right there before you and you say, Yes, I know God says, but I'm not going to. Okay. And you turn away your ear from hearing the law. It says what? Even his prayer shall be abomination. That means that if you're willingly and stubbornly and uh, constantly disobedient to the Word of God and the commandments of God and the instructions of God, willfully knowing, then even your prayer is what? An insult. It means it's ridiculous for you to try to pray under that condition. Some people say, well, I asked God, but He didn't do it. Well, this is one of the hindrances to prayer. One of the worst hindrances to prayer is disobedience to the Word of God. And then it says in verse 10, He, whoso causeth the righteous to go astray, 
in, a, in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray means corrupters of other people. Did you know some can cause others to go astray? Wicked men have influence as well as good men. Wicked men influence good people to go astray sometimes. Isn't it sad when uh, you have someone that is absolutely criminal-minded and wicked-minded that gets a hold of one in the family of a Christian and causes that individual, son or daughter or husband or wife or someone in that family to go astray because of their wicked uh, influence? Now, you and I are to influence people for good and for God. And our influence should be in that direction at all times. Remember Peter after the resurrection in John chapter 21? He's supposed to be waiting around, listening and praying for God to give him guidance. And Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to just chunk it all and go fishing. And they said, we also go with thee. And immediately they entered into the ship. And they toiled all that night and caught what? Nothing. They went fishing without the Lord's presence. Sometimes you go fishing on your own. If God's in it, He'll give you the increase. And it's His business to do it. And He's the only one that can do it, by the way. Sometimes you and I think we have a hand in it, but... Ours is very little, isn't it? But God's is almighty and He can move. And He does. But the thing about it is, Peter influenced those men. They were good men. They were apostles. They were disciples. And he influenced them to do what he wanted them to do. You and I can influence others to to do what we want them to do. But let's make sure we want them to do the right thing. And it doesn't mean it was altogether wrong. They did it for some food. But they had... In other words, they put really the, the physical and material a little bit ahead of the spiritual things. And uh, it doesn't mean that uh, they didn't need food to eat. But uh, on the other hand, they had kind of put the spiritual aspect on the second burner, on the back burner, hadn't they? And uh, you and I, sometimes we do that. We say, well, it was necessary, you know, for me to go fishing. You heard the story about the two men out on the lake, you know, and they were on Sunday morning, they was out there fishing, and one of them got under conviction. He says, you know, I should have gone to church this morning. And the other man, he spoke up, and he said, I couldn't have gone if I'd wanted to. He says, my wife's sick. (laughs) That'll soak in a little bit. Anyway, (laughs) whoso causeth the righteous to go astray? Here's a corruptor's corruptors of, uh, of good people. Whoso causes the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. He's going to suffer for it and he's going to fall into his own trap. He's trying to get someone else into a trap and he's going to fall into it himself. But the upright shall have good things in, in possession. Matthew 5 verse 19. Let me read a verse for you. Matthew 5 verse 19 says this. It says, uh, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the influence you have, you don't want to teach people to do wrong from God's word. And this wicked, it says, 
Uh, whoso causes the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. And it says, but the upright shall have good things in possession. Look at verse 11 quickly. Verse 11 says, The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth them out. Here's a man that thinks himself superior and he's wise in his own conceit, but the poor man understands all about him. See? He hath understanding, he that hath, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth them out. He finds out what he really is. Look at verse 12. When righteous men do do uh, when righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. They have a cause to rejoice. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. What does it mean? It means there's glory in the land when the righteous have liberty. And it, it means when the righteous are in rule and in control. But when the wicked rise up, there's problems. Man is hidden. In verse 13, it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Look at this. Sin that is buried. There's no true peace in that man. But whoso, look at this, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh him shall have mercy. Here is a good leader is honest. Don't try to cover up your sins. You know, there have been more people who have made mistakes trying to cover up their sins. That's why a Christian doesn't do very good in the court of law because he'll tell, tell the truth about it and he's, he hang himself right away. And you know, a guy that's dishonest, he'll, his lawyer will say, deny it. Deny every bit of it. Don't say you did anything. That's the way it works. We know some of them that deny it all the time, don't we? Don't know a thing about it. But anyway, you get down to... We find here a good leader is honest. A good leader is honest. Now, that means honest in our business life, honest in our Christian life, honest with our family, honest in our family relationships, honest with one another, honest with the members of the church. And that's, I appreciate honesty in Brother Randy. He tells you just exactly how it is. And I thank the Lord for it. Because you can always be honest. And I know one thing, if, if he owes anyone an apology or explanation, he'll give it. That's the kind of people we need to be. And then in verse uh, 14 it says, Happy is the man that feareth always. There is a fear that causes happiness. Look at this. Happy is the man that feareth always. You say, feareth and you're happy. This means in great awe. This means rejoicing and trembling. This means in reverence before God. Happy is the man that feareth always. We're talking about having faith and love and reverencing God. And there's fear. There is a fear that brings and causes this kind of happiness. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. The hard hearted's going to pay for it. They're going to fall into mischief. Verse 15 says, As a roaring lion and a ranging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the people, over the poor people. What is it? Here's a mindless tyrant or mindless tyranny. A roaring lion and a a ranging bear. And what is it? So, the word so, so is a wicked ruler. What is a wicked ruler? Over the poor people. He's just like a roaring lion that's ready to devour them. Verse 16 says, the prince, look, 
The prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor. But he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. The prince that wanteth understanding, the great oppressor, is subhuman, he is stupid, and he's short-lived. But he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. If you hate covetousness, and you're not an oppressor, your days will be prolonged. In verse 17, notice what it says here. A man that doeth violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. He's haunted with terrors. He shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. That means he deserved the punishment he's gotten. Look at verse 18. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. But he that is perverse in his way shall fall at once. Whoso walketh uprightly, he has nothing to hide and he has nothing to fear. That's a good way to feel, isn't it? It means you have peace and security. This kind of walk. Look at that. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. He'll be delivered. But he that is perverse in his way shall fall at once. Destruction comes. Look at verse 19. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. Now, by the way, here you're talking about a a good leader must be diligent. Must be diligent. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. But he that falleth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. Look at that. He that tilleth his land is taking the, the way to live, the right way to live. But he that falleth vain persons. Have you ever seen folks, I hate to see young people or even grown uh, more middle-aged people that are just carousing around, have nothing to do but run around with someone that's got to go to, to a beer joint or got to go and lead a wild life and they don't have anything on their mind but just having a good time. And they don't till the land. See what I mean? And they don't even have any intention of that. And there are plenty of folks out there like that. Just walking the streets and doing nothing for themselves or for anyone else. But it says, Whoso, it says, He that tilleth the land shall have plenty of bread. He's taking the right way to live. But he that followeth after vain persons, what kind of persons are you talking about? Ungodly persons, foolish persons, uh, uh, slothful persons shall have poverty enough. Brother, he's going to have poverty enough. Look at verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. A faithful man, he's going to have, what's he really worth? He's going to abound with blessings if he's faithful to God. But he that maketh haste to be rich. In other words, you want to make it all in one day. I've known folks that said, well, by the time I'm 40 years old, I'm going to have a million dollars. And I look at some of them and they don't have anything. You know why? They just were so proud at what they were doing, they thought that they could just run over everybody and they knew some wise ways to make money. You know, they got these programs on television tell you how to take the other man's money and invest it and make you a mint. And most of it has to end up eventually being crooked. There's no uh, get-rich-quick schemes that really work. 
And if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. So, the thing about it here, it says, uh, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. This is what a person is really worth. But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. The true way to be happy is to be holy and to be honest, and not to raise an estate suddenly without regard to right or wrong, or how you're going to get it. In verse 21, it says, To have respect of persons is not good for a piece of bread that man will transgress. To have respect of persons. God says He is no respecter of persons. Why should you and I be? If God, as great as He is, is no respecter of persons, and you and I, as small as we are, we become respecter of persons, that means we're pretty small. And that means that we are not following God. The rich and the poor and the bond and the free, the race of any color, should be acceptable in our sight. Talk about racial problems in the country and rich and poor problems in the country. If, if God's people will live like they should, they won't have that problem themselves. Now, others may have them, but you won't have that problem. You'll treat every man as an equal. You'll treat every individual with dignity. You'll treat others with respect. You'll know they're human beings that deserve every right to everything that they're able to, to do and give. And so, respect them in that way. And then verse 22, it kind of repeats what's in verse 20. It says that he that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. Not only it, it tells you there shall not be innocent in verse 20, but it says hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Have you ever known folks? I've known people and I could call the names and I'm not going to do it. But I know I've known people in Riadosa that had stocks and bonds and motels and businesses and stores and everything and ended up paupers. And the particular one I'm thinking of was because there was a son that was an alcoholic and he wouldn't give it up and he spent up everything he had and his dad left him and his mother had and she died a pauper. And it's not just one case, one isolated case. I can tell you more than just one. But you see, having a lot doesn't mean you'll always have a lot. You have the blessings of God today and live a day at a time. I mean, don't even worry about tomorrow too much. When I think of poor little Odie, sometimes it just dawns on me what really has happened. Vicky and I and Randy were down there all night. And it's really sad to think about it. I know they've thought about it. I have. She was getting better. And we had a lot of high hopes. Louise even had her card made with her name on it for, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Easter. I mean, way ahead of time, you know. And when you think about the potential and about life, but life is so fragile. And don't ever get to thinking you have a grip on it and a guarantee of it. James says, What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. You say, Well, I'm young. That doesn't make any difference. You say, I'm old. That doesn't make any difference either. My mother lived to be 96 years old. 
thank the Lord for every year. Uh, Edna's mother was 91 or 2, was she? 92. And she was here in church. I'm talking about Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights up until she fell and broke her hip. And they had her down there in Roswell in the hospital. We'd go down there to see her. And then they brought her home. Of course, she didn't last long, did she, Edna? So the thing about it is, but here was a woman that was active and attended church in her 90s more than a lot of people do in their 20s. That's amazing, isn't it? Come out on a Wednesday night service, she'd say, she'd tell Edna, I want to go to church. And she'd be here. And she loved it. She loved to hear the Word taught and preached. And I loved to preach it to her because I could tell she was drinking it in. Anyway, let's get down to the next verse. It says um, in uh, verse uh, 23, it says, He that rebuketh a man rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Sometimes outspokenness in honesty will be, bring you a better relationship than flattering someone and telling a lie. Making them believe that there's something they're not. In verse 24, by the way, verses 24 on down, a good leader is family-centered. And we'll finish this and go. It says in verse 24 through 28, there's just that many verses. It says, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith, It is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. Robbeth father or mother and saith, There is no transgression. In Mark chapter 7, verse 11, I want to read a verse for you. It says, But ye say, Jesus is saying to these people, But ye say, if a man say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. In other words, he'll not be under any obligation to take care of mother and father. And ye suffer him no uh, no more to do aught for his father or mother, his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. He said that they were hypocrites, and he said that they were laying aside the uh, the uh, teaching of God for the commandments of men, and that they had made these things up and tried to justify themselves by. And what it really means is that the rabbis had declared that a man might dedicate all his possessions to God to maintain the works of the temple, and if his parents had need, he could claim he had nothing to help them. I've given it all to take care of the temple. To use that as an excuse for not helping his father and his mother. Back to the verse we had, and we'll go on down with it, in our Proverbs chapter 28, verse 24, Whoso robbeth his father or mother and saith, It is no transgression. That's the main thing they were doing. The same is the companion of a destroyer. In verse 25, He that is proud of heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. In other words, he'll prosper. He that is proud of heart stirreth up strife. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, listen, and verse 10, Only by pride cometh contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. Now then, look at verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. 
A man that trusts in his own heart is a fool. This is fleshly self-confidence. You know, there's never a time that I get up to preach, and I'm sure that Randy can testify the same thing, that I don't feel the need of God's help. I don't get up here and think I know it all, friend, because I certainly don't. I get up here and say, God, I've studied and I've prepared. Now, you help me to put this over. And if it wasn't for the Lord, I could never put anything over. But it says in verse, uh, but he, but his, but he that put his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He shall prosper. Verse 26, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. That's fleshly self-confidence. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. According to the wisdom of God. Walking in wisdom. Look at verse 27 and 28 and we'll close. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. You see that? But he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. The blessedness of giving. You and I ought to learn to be givers. And then, uh, I want you to notice the last verse. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. A people's dismay. Power in the hands of the wicked. But when they perish, the righteous increase. So the... What is the principles of good leadership? And a good leader is stable. A good leader is is compassionate. A good leader is equitable. A good leader is honest. And a good leader is diligent. And a good leader is family-centered.